Hi, I'm Sheldon Kennedy, and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast, The Sheldon Kennedy Show. These episodes will feature honest and open conversations with notable guests who will share their stories, subject matter expertise, and insights on the many social issues we face today. This podcast is presented by Respect Group. Founded in 2004, Respect Group empowers people to recognize and prevent bullying, abuse, harassment, and discrimination through interactive online education. To date, over 1.6 million Canadians have been Respect certified in sport, schools, and the workplace. Now, I'm delighted to introduce our guest and my friend, Kyle Schufeld, a lifelong devotee of gymnastics since learning how to do a cartwheel as a young boy. Three-time Olympian Kyle made history by winning gold on the floor exercise at the 2004 Athens Games. The first and only medal for a Canadian in artistic gymnastics. After retiring in 2009, Kyle has remained involved in the community as a mentor, broadcaster, business owner, and author. In 2013, he opened Kyle Schufelt Gymnastics, which I got to say my son Lachlan goes to and has been participating at for a few years now and loves it. In Calgary, which offers recreational gymnastics programming to thousands of participants each year. Kyle is a member of Canada's Sports Hall of Fame, a proud champion for Special Olympics, and he released his autobiography, Make It Happen, in 2021, which I have a copy of and read. And it's an awesome book, Kyle. I think you've done a you've done an awesome job on that book and, and welcome and thank you for joining us uh, today and it's great to have you with us. Maybe we'll start off with a fun question. We ask you always for a couple fun questions so I guess if you were to hang out with any cartoon character who would it be? <laughs> Let's get into it. Let's get into it. Okay well I have a daughter she's five and a half years old and her favorite two shows are Paw Patrol Obviously, right? Everyone yeah. asks me, Dad, who's your favorite Paw Patrol <laughs> characters? Um, and the second show that she loves is Bluey. And it's a. What is that? Bluey? Bluey, yes. It's oh, a, I have not seen that one. It's a Disney one, and they're um, Australian dogs. And yeah. the, the dad is really funny. And he reminds me very much of me because he'll like fart and then blame it on his kids. <laughs> <laughs> and so. <laughs> I would say those are the two cartoon characters. I'd hang out with the Paw Patrol and the family from Blue. Which is the favorite Paw Patrol? Oh, I, I can't Uma? think of it. <laughs> I, I like them all equally. They all oh, bring... Oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah. Inclusion is important. Exactly. That, that's good, Kyle. The, um, and I guess we have another one. And I guess what would be the favorite item that you bought this year? Oh, the favorite item that I bought this year is probably a Peloton bike. It was, oh. a, it was a big purchase. And Kristen, my partner and I were like, you know what? We're going to spend money on fitness because fitness to me is like, that means movement is medicine and it's good for your mind. It's good for your body. And I've made a decision in my life that I'll spend, I don't care how much money I spend on fitness and health and wellness. Those are really critical for, for my life. Oh, the Peloton. Well, uh, Wayne, my good friend and your good friend turned 65 this year. So that was my gift to Wayner was a Peloton bike. There you go. Yeah. And uh, he loves it. He loves it. Yeah. So, so Kyle, you were 
you are a just an incredible Canadian in my mind uh, for many reasons. I think you know uh, not only being an athlete, but I think um, a champion for for sport within our community and recreational sport to just get kids involved. You know, maybe what I'd like to talk a little bit about today is, you know, let's talk a little bit about your book. Let's start out with that and make it happen. And you know, I know that you speak a lot about your coach and 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 the importance of uh of what kelly uh manjack um the role that he played and how important a good coach is in in a in a person's life and maybe just talk a little bit about that talk a little bit about the process of writing the book and you know what made you decide to write the book and 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 the topics that you put in there i've always wanted to write a book it was always yeah something that was on my list and I just couldn't, you know, get my feet on the ground with it. It was something that I started writing in 2010 and I wrote a bunch of stories, but there was no beginning, middle and end, and there was no central theme. And as gymnastics has struggled over the past, well, in, in highlighted in the media over the past five years with all the abuse that's happened in America with the, the American women's gymnastics team, it really came to light to me how how privileged I was to have a coach that created an environment for me where I felt I had a voice, where I was able to chase my goal and I was in the driver's seat and where I never felt like I was in a demeaning environment. I always felt like I was in a demanding environment, but that I was more important to my coach as a person than I was as an athlete. And through reflecting on the poor experiences that others had and their stories that they were telling, I, I, I thought, you know, there is so much value in these women telling the story. Mm-hmm. There's also value in, in showing that there is a positive example. And, and I really wanted to highlight what Kelly did for me as an athlete. Um, you can't see because people are listening, but I have a picture of Kelly and I, and that that moment was the moment right after I ran off the floor in Athens, and that's the moment I think about at the Olympics. I don't think about the the standing on the podium getting the gold medal. I think about the moment I ran into my coach's arms and gave him a big hug yeah. because we had done it together. You know, we had worked for sixteen years together for that moment, and we didn't know the score. And we didn't know the outcome, but we knew that I had delivered that best routine. And that's what Kelly really always reiterated to me as an athlete was, I don't care about the result. I don't care if you win. I care that you try hard. I care that you go out there and you give it your all. I care that you are enjoying your experience. And that's what I tried to share when I was writing this book. And through storytelling, through some of those examples, you know, at the Olympics, when the pressure is so high, a coach, coaches can turn. They can really get wrapped up in that and they can be this different version of themselves that does not bring out the best in everybody. But Kelly was so casual and so cool. And all he did was tell me how amazing I looked. You look so good. You're so ready. Things like that. And like, that's not the norm, but I want it to become the norm. Yeah. Well, and how important is it? Because, you know, I think that, you know, we do, you know, the obviously the, the terrible abuse, the, uh, cases that have gone on and not only gymnastics, but I mean, in, in many different sports, but, uh, you know, we tend to focus on those cases. And, and I think it's critical that we tell stories of, um, you know, of, you know, what are people doing well out there? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Because there are a lot of coaches that, that are doing well. And yeah. 
and uh, and you know, and what makes them tick, right? Because I think we can't just say don't do this, don't do that, don't do this. We've got to teach a different way because I think ultimately what we're trying to do in a lot of cases is shift, you know, almost have a systemic shift uh, in the way that uh, you know as we as we learn new ways and better ways. We were at the Olympics this year, Kyle, and you know what was what was that? I guess you weren't there. I guess you were in. Maybe to tell tell us a little bit about tell us a little bit about how that and your experience and. You know, I, I I saw you responding to to you know the social media responses and negativity with the, the, the decision Simone Biles made. Um, you know, and I guess I'd like to talk about that because it I think it's you know that her being able to make that decision I think it's huge, uh, but the response to that was very disappointing. Yeah. So I covered um, this. This was my fourth Olympics as a broadcaster. Wow. So I've actually covered more Olympic games in television than I competed at as an athlete. So I guess that means I've crossed over. <laughs> um, yeah, and I and I love it, and I love being able to highlight the athletes, highlight their stories, and 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 try to shine a light on that work that they've done and what makes athlete A better than athlete B in terms of the the technical abilities, but. This Olympics, I, I was actually in Toronto. So instead of going to Tokyo, CBC elected to send a very small team there. And gymnastics was one of the sports that, well, most of the sports actually called it from Toronto. So I was doing overnight. It was super weird vampire shift. Um, <laughs> right. But I had my, you know, lots of people on the ground that were sending me information back. And I had lots of WhatsApp happening and just reading articles as much as I could and being in contact with everyone that I could who was there to try to give the viewers a sense that, you know, yeah. I was kind of there on the ground. Anyways, I was faking it. I called it Toronto, Tokyo. But <laughs> one, of, one of the things heading into the games uh, that I would have never predicted was, was the Simone Biles situation where she did pull out because of mental health issues. I thought Simone was going to go into these games, as many did, and I thought she was going to come home with a minimum of four gold medals. You know, she mm -hmm. was going to win the all-around, the team, the floor, the vault, and possibly the beam, and maybe even medal on the bars. So she was going to be the most decorated athlete in gymnastics ever at the Olympics. Well, Simone had a lot of pressure on her shoulders and Simone has had a lot of things happen in her life that a lot of people don't fully understand. She grew up in foster care because yeah. her mother had addictions. She was abused by the former doctor of USA Gymnastics. Simone's brother was um, charged with murder and that her family's been dealing with that. He was acquitted. He did get off. But there's a lot of things behind the scenes that we don't know. And we just see the athlete on the commercials doing the flips, you know, being promoted by NBC. But Simone reached a breaking point. And, and, and for her, I was very proud of the decision that she made. It was very confusing in the moment. Seeing her do that vault where she was supposed to do a two and a half twist, she bailed out one and a half twists in and opened up her body and only someone as strong as Simone could have landed on her feet. Most other athletes would have landed flat on their back or potentially on their head. And one of the things I saw her say to her coach, Cecile Landy, she said, I don't trust myself. And it was in that moment that her coach, who is an incredible woman, an Olympian herself from the 1996 Olympics representing France, in that moment, Cecile said, we're calling it. 
And they went with the doctor into the back training room and did a psychological evaluation. And Simone did not feel safe. She didn't trust herself. And gymnastics is such a dangerous sport. If you don't trust yourself in the air, like it can end in paralysis. If you and I have a bad day in our roles, you know, I swear on TV or I, you know, flub up a word or whatever that looks like. Um, I don't die from it. I don't paralyze myself. And so I think a lot of people didn't quite understand what the mental health situation around that was, but it was, I think the compounding of all the pressures around her. And in that moment with that Olympic sized light shining on her, it just, it just happened. And I don't want to use the word crack, but she, she didn't crack under the pressure. It came to a head. It all boiled up to the surface. I'm very proud of her for making that choice, but I was disappointed, as you said, Sheldon, to to see some of the people's reactions saying she was quitting and giving up. She was not doing that. Believe me, she did not feel safe. Yeah, well, and I, you know, when I, and I, I, I do not know Simone uh, uh, at all, Kyle, uh, but understanding what I know about, you know, um, you know, when, when, when individuals tell their stories of whatever it might be going on, and I know that, you know, uh, Simone was part of the, 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 uh, the U.S. Olympic um, doctor's case, right, where she had disclosed the abuse that she had, and, and it was public. And, and, I, and I find that life gets very difficult after disclosure. And, and I think that, you know, that was the first thing that I felt is like, you know, it's, it's almost like, you know, somehow you've managed to keep this together this way. And then when, you know, when you've had, when you feel you can't do that anymore and you, you know, you've, you've got to tell your story to save yourself and others, life gets difficult. And, and I, I when I remember with me, I thought that, oh, I tell my story, it's going to be better. I'm going to be able to be, be good at this. And, uh, and I think that the reality was, is that, I struggled for a long time. And I think that that's my initial reaction when I heard this is like, you know, a good for her and her coach to feel the strength, the ability to do that. Right. But this to me seemed like such a normal reaction to be able to, you know, with, with stress. And we know that stress uh, brings out um, uh, all of those uh, factors Uh you know, under under stressful situations, they they raise their, you know, the they raise their heads. Uh, all those the the impacts of trauma, and that's you know what what was quite clear. And to be able to not trust yourself, that makes sense because one of the biggest things that you lose is trust uh, through that. But um, you know, I I just thought Kyle. I mean, you you were you were very strong in defending Simone, and and uh, you know we need that. We need that. What is like, you know, as the, I guess it seems like social media is distracting us for us all, but what does that have on a modern day Olympian? Like, you know, I didn't play when social media was around and thank goodness, but I mean, how, what kind of impact would that have, um, you know, for, for, for an Olympian of today? I, I think about this a lot. If in 2004, if there was Twitter and Facebook and Instagram yeah. and um, TikTok and Snap and all the different platforms that these athletes feel that they have to be on in order to build their brand and showcase their sponsors, etc. Like, I don't know if I would have been able to have delivered the routines and the performances I did. 
because there was a part of me that had to, I had to sit in the discomfort of it all. And I think that actually allowed me the ability to like move through it and come to the place of courage where I wasn't afraid to go after it anymore. Mm. I couldn't distract myself. I, I spent so much quiet time at the Olympics in 2004 writing in my journal. I still have those journals today and it's really interesting to reflect back on them. I mean, it's just sorting through the issues, sorting through the problems and not being able to go and scroll through and just take yourself to this other place. I had to sit there and process through it. But I feel for myself personally, that made me stronger. Um, as an adult now, you know, I'm a 39 year old man and like, I have the debate, like, should I just get off social media? Cause like, is this really serving me? I don't feel that I use the platforms to like, I go to them when I'm angry, if that makes sense. Like when <laughs> the government shuts down my business over and over, that's the only time I go to Twitter is <laughs> like, yeah. when I'm mad. And, and is that valuable? I don't know if I'm really contributing to anything to that conversation. In my life, I want to be more present with the people that I'm surrounded by, and I don't want to live in those virtual worlds. But for these athletes, going back to that question, like I can't imagine the pressure that they feel. And, and, and there's a pressure to be perfect all the time too, right? Because everybody's watching everything you do, and you get to curate. So then you make that decision, like, I'm going to tell this story, but it's only the good stuff, generally. You're not sharing the bad stuff generally on social media, right? Um, When I think back to the Simone situation, just for a quick sec, I wanted to point something out. So as I mentioned, I have a young daughter and like that's where I connected as a parent watching what was happening with Simone. And I was so behind her because I want my daughter to look up to women that advocate for themselves when something's not right, that feel that they have that voice, that they can have agency and to speak up. And I loved that example that Simone set she set the boundaries and and I hope that all the young athletes who are listening to this podcast and all the administrators and anybody is, is like when an athlete says something's not right, that means something's not right. <laughs> and we have to listen to them and we have to honor that. I think you're absolutely right, Kyle. She did like, that was a groundbreaking decision. Uh, I don't know anybody else that's pulled out because of uh, the mental health issue and, and especially at that level. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and what, a what, to me, that is, uh, you know, that, that is, that was, uh, um, you know, that's got to be a tough decision. But I mean, I think it, you know, that is what we want to show people. That, you know, when they say that they're being listened to, right? She was listened to. And I think so many times we're never listened to with that space. And as a society, I think we need to shift our perspectives here to say, do we want to see Simone competing when she's not at her best and when she has potential to get injured? Like, is that what we really value? Is that what, is that more important? I don't know. I would rather much, I would much rather see Simone, an athlete like Simone competing at her absolute best when she's on fire. And I've, we've seen that from her since 2013. She's been at a remarkable peak and mentally strong and physically ready. And she wasn't there. And so I don't, I don't think that we as a society should place value on <laughs> making athletes compete when they're not feeling great. No. Like we got to, we got to shift that perspective. Well, and if we look at it, like we always talk about the game being how, how, how much is, is, is the, is the game or the sport, uh, the mental side of that? Like, I mean, that we, I've always heard, you know, 75% of the sport or even 50% of the sport is, is mental, right? 
So, you know, we've always said, well, you can, you can work through those, those impacts of, you know, those injuries and, you know, the, the little bit of an ankle sprain, you can, you know, you can work through that. But I think we really don't understand the significance of the impact of mental health. And I think that's just because a lot of times visibly we can't see it. I think, you know, we know and I know that the impacts are real. And after you just explaining to me a little bit about, you know, Simone's background and, and her upbringing and all of the, you know, the um, events that have happened in her life, you know, she has been competing and living a life and, and performing at such a high level with many injuries, <laughs> you know, with many injuries. And I'll tell you, I just, you know, and I had some tears in my eyes when I was watching the the Ali Raceman, uh, Simone Biles, and the, that group presenting to the to in front of uh, the U.S. Senate uh, around the FBI case, I was like, it just like it is groundbreaking what they're doing, and you know, it just to see them coming together as a group um, and pushing for change uh, is huge. And I think, you know, that leads me to the safe sport and the safe sport movement. And you know, it seems that you know we've created fear among coaching ranks. And I mean, have you have you heard? About that, do you feel that, you know, with safe sport that there's, you know, we like that there's a fear that's going amongst is being spread out throughout the coaching ranks or what, what are your thoughts on that? Talk? Yeah, <laughs> I definitely have heard that from the coaching yeah. community that they're afraid to discipline a child because they'll be labeled as an abuser. You know, they're afraid to spot children in certain ways because they'll be perceived as like a predator. Yeah. I think that pendulum is swinging and we're in that muddy period in between where we're figuring out like mm -hmm. there's a lot of gray areas right now and I feel like coaches just feel like they're they're never safe you know they they're always being watched and everything they can do everything they do could be perceived as an abusive act and with that I can understand you know but on the same page I always tell coaches be respectful be kind have clear communication. If you need to spot a child, tell them what you are doing, <laughs> have other people around, you know, ensure that there's like super open communication around things that are, are going on. Treat the child with dignity, treat them with respect, treat them with kindness, have them, have them as a person be more important than their result. And if you do those things, like you're going to be okay. <laughs> have good intention. And I think that people can see that through. Uh, do you have any things? Yeah. Well, I think you're, I think it's bang on Kyle. I, I, I mean, you know, I think that, you know, we need to build a confidence and it, to me, we can't just say, don't do this, don't do that. Don't do this. And it gets back. We, we have to teach and we've got to mentor and we've got to show a, a right way. We, and, you know, and I think people are looking for that and there's an expect, I think, I believe that there's a perception that everybody knows you know, how to, you know, do this, you know, properly, or I guess, but I mean, if we look at it, like, they were taught a certain way, right? And if that was the way they were taught, for the most case, or most times, they're gonna, they're going to be able to, they're going to coach that way also. So I think that, yes, we need to educate coaches, but we also need to teach. And like, what I heard you just say, is you're teaching them. So you're giving them some tools to address their fear. And I think that's, that's what we need to do is we need to be able to, you know, show them 
you know, simple ways to a different way of communicating with that, with that athlete that's in front of them or that child in front of them and just, just start. And I think that it takes practice. It's not going to be a one hit wonder. It's going to be a constant teaching, you know, and adjusting and moving um, to get people there. And eventually uh, they'll pick it up. That's my thought on it. Kelly Manjack used to always say, I'm not going to send an athlete into the grocery store with a list of things not to get. He's like, I'm going to send them into the store with the list of things to get. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so instead of saying, don't do that, don't do that. He's like, here's the things you need to focus on. I think sport needs to shift a bit into the place where we let the child lead a little bit more, yeah. where I think that we, especially in gymnastics, we've grown up in the environment where, you know, we've put these coaches on pedestals and put microphones on them for television when it's all about the coach and the athletes, like the secondary, it's like the byproduct. the coach is the star and the athletes are the byproduct. you know, yeah. they're, they're um, dispensable. And I think that, that's where the shift needs to happen from a media perspective too. And in the coaching world, it's not about you as the coach, it's about the athlete and you should actually be more in the background. And I think we need to highlight those stories a little bit more. You yeah. do have like coaches like Simone's coaches. Um, you've got Sunisa Lee's coach. I don't even really know his name. I mean, I know it, but he's not out there looking to be the star of the show here. Right. Right. He, he's, letting the athlete highlight. I, in fact, I watched him at the Olympic games and when SUNY won the gold medal, he just was literally just in the background. He just was watching it all go down. He wasn't there by her trying to be the star. And I respect that a lot. At the end of the day, I think we have to remember that it's just sport. Like sport is yeah. really important, but it's just sport. And these kids are going to leave sport and they're going to move on in their lives to do other things. And are they going to want to be involved in the sport mm -hmm. as a judge, as a coach, as a, a parent putting their child in the sport. I think that should be our number one goal is creating those experiences where people want to put their kids back in sport where they want to be involved in it. This is how the circle works, especially in Canada. What? But you're right. That education piece is so important. We have to teach this next generation, this new generation of coaches. And in 10 years, we're not going to be having these conversations as much. I think we're going to be, no. yeah, we're going to be in a much better place, but it takes it, time to get there. It does. I think it's, it, it does Kyle. And I, you know, do you, I mean, you've been in sport for a long time and, and uh, you know, like us, uh, like, have you seen a shift? Have you seen a change? Have you seen a change for the positive? Like, have you seen a difference? I have. I think the tolerance level is a lot lower for anyone that is doing like, quote unquote, abusive acts yeah. or, um, you know, there people now feel they have a bit more uh, tools and resources to be able to say, like, I'm not comfortable with this behavior of this coach. Whereas before people would just kind of watch it and be like, oh, well, that's just how they are. You know, yeah. when they are really creating that environment of like power over their athletes and control and using fear-based tactics before it was like, oh, well, that's how they coach. But now I think a lot of the community, I'm speaking gymnastics specifically, yeah. feels they have more agency to say like, you can't coach like that. <laughs> like yeah. that's not okay. And there's a bit of a channel to go through. I think there's still some muddy waters there. I don't think necessarily that sports should be, you know, policing their own sport. I think we yeah. need a third party and Jen Heil has taken a big leadership role in that, like getting at the government level. I don't think gymnastics should be policing gymnastics necessarily. I think there needs to be a third party doing that. But again, this is that transition that we're trying to go through and trying to get to that place. But yes, I well, I agree with you. I, I think there needs to be a, a third party, you know, a, a third party line, which I think 
there are steps that are moving towards that. I know I think the government announced um, uh, the third party uh, the sport dispute uh, resolution line, which is a good start. I think we need to, you know, it needs to be, you know, stepped up a little bit more on, uh, you know, it needs to be mandatory, right? Uh, these issues. And if we want real change, either it's really important or it's not. And that's just my feeling with that. But I guess, you know, as an, as an Olympic athlete, as a gold medal Olympic athlete, which is unreal. And Kyle, I got to say, um, and I, I, I'm, I got to know Olympic athletes when I did the Battle of the Blades and I'd never really spent, I mean, I knew you through Wayne, but I never really spent a lot of time, um, you know, in the Olympic world. Uh, um, and I got to know some of the skaters there. My partner was in Olympian and, and, uh, and, and it is, you know, there is a lot of pressure and that's, uh, you know, that's a whole different way of uh, training than, than just, my son coming to Kyle Schufelt gymnastics, you know, and, and I guess just talk to me a little bit about, you know, I really want to know how you came from a gold medal, being a gold medal Olympics training. I don't know how many hours you would spend a day uh, training uh, and the years that you put in to come back and say, you know what, youth sport, uh, you know, community sport and the gym that you created is a non-competitive gym. And why did you go that route? Like, what was the decision of that? <laughs> right. It seems kind of like the polar opposite from the elite. Kind of <laughs> the Olympic elite. World. Yeah, that yeah. was my word. I was yeah. <laughs> well, what, when I was training, I, I wanted that for myself. I wanted to be the best in the world. That, that literally like was my meditation. I would keep coming back to that when I would have hard days. I wanted to be an Olympian. I wanted to be an Olympic champion and I don't, I can't really describe where that came from. Cause my, my, my dad played in the WHL. He was a Brandon Wheat King, but they never knew what gymnastics was. <laughs> you know, yeah. they, my mom like did league bowling or whatever. <laughs> so sport, sport wasn't like the super high level sport wasn't ingrained in, in me. It's just something that I wanted, but it was quite a lonely existence. I will say I spent a lot of time training you know, in a small group or, or with another teammate, um, yeah. or going into the gym alone and just working my way. But I was driven that way. But when I, when I was finished with competitive sport in 2009, I retired, I knew I wanted to make a contribution and I knew I wanted to make it community-based and I knew that I wanted it to be in Calgary and I wanted it to be getting people involved. And I think we place so much value on the high-performance sport but there is a lot of value in foundational sport and gymnastics is a physical literacy skill. You know, I think every kid should do gymnastics and every kid should take swimming lessons because swimming lessons is a life skill. Gymnastics is the base and that's where you can build from. And my expectation is that very few kids actually go to the competitive side of gymnastics. I've seen that in the numbers and the data, you know, a very small percentage want to do that. But I think every child and every person can benefit from gymnastics. So that's kind of where the, the vision kind of came. I also didn't want to create an environment that had a competitive environment because I had done that for so long and I was tired of it, you know, tired of those pressures, tired of the expectations, tired of the perfection. I just wanted to create an environment where people could come and have fun and really enjoy being physically active and 
I always say at my facility that like we want to be the best part of someone's day, whether that's the kid, the parent, or the coach. I want it to be the best part of their day and be excited about it because life's short and you should enjoy as much of your time as you possibly can. Not that I didn't enjoy trying to achieve my Olympic dreams. I enjoyed that, but I also didn't have a lot of people around me that also were doing that. Right. Yeah. Right. How, how, um, you're a father and I've met, met your daughter and she's five and a half. So what's it, you know, as a, you're going to be a sport parent, maybe. Hey, who knows? Maybe. I don't what, know. How, what, what's, what's, uh, what's parenting like? What's, uh, you know, what are your, have you, have you brought any sports skills into, into, into parenting? Have you, What's that like? I'm a parent. I have a three-year-old, so I'm, you know, I'm not a, <laughs> as you can tell from my yeah. hair being sideways and upside down and everything right now. <laughs> I, I always think about um, when I was a child, my parents had no idea what gymnastics was. I think my mom had watched it on the Olymp- uh, at the Olympics in 1988. But I started doing handstands and cartwheels and I just had this affinity for it. I loved it. And I played hockey and I did t-ball and swimming lessons and I I did a variety of things. But when my mom put me in gymnastics, that's just kind of where it felt like home. And so with my child, I'm trying to expose her to as many things as I possibly can. And she's, I'm going to let her have full reign of what she wants to do. I have to check myself sometimes. I will be fully honest. It, like if she shows an aptitude towards something, I'm like, oh, maybe she should do that more. <laughs> but then I'm like, wait, no, no, no. This is me. I need her to tell me she wants to do it more. Yeah. So, you know, I've exposed her to like ball sports so she can kick a ball. She can swing a baseball bat and hit a ball. She can golf. Like she can swing a club. She can do gymnastics. She's taking swimming lessons. She, a wide variety of things. We put music on and we have dance parties. Like she loves to sing. She, she, I don't know what she's going to become and what she's going to love, but I want to expose, I want to expose her to as many things as I possibly can. I feel that's my responsibility as a parent. And then whatever she chooses that she wants to specialize in, then we'll go down that route. I'm just, I'm here. I'm the passenger. She's got the, she gets the steering wheel. I'm going to help change the tires. I'll put the windows down. I'll pay for the repairs. But like, I want her to be holding that steering wheel, looking forward and choosing her direction. Well, good for you. I mean, that's our, I think that's awesome. And that's our, that's what we're trying to do. Uh, Jen and our, and myself too, with, with our little guy and just expose him to as many different things, you know, the arts, the sports, everything, just let him experience it all. And, 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 uh, and I think that's awesome. No, I know that uh, you've played a huge role in, you know, with many different charities, but uh, special Olympics has been one special to you. Maybe talk to us a little bit about, you know, that, you know, the, the importance of that charity and, and why you're involved. So my connection to Special Olympics goes back to 2004. And after I won the Olympics, I got a wide variety of opportunities to go to do a lot of work with charities and to do lots of speaking things, etc. So I was traveling like crazy. And in 2004, it was the end of the year. And I went to the Special Olympics Gala. It was in Toronto. And I met some of the Special Olympic athletes and (laughs) I had my medal and they had five medals and they told me that they had five (laughs) medals and I only had one. And I was like, you are awesome. (laughs) But it was such an inclusive environment. It was such a fun, welcoming place. And I could really see the impact that the sport programs had on these athletes. And 
circling back to my high school years, I was bullied in grade 11 because I was a male gymnast. And it was, it made me feel just so gross to be, you know, made to question my choice of sport and to be put into that place of fear every day, having someone like really lurking around me, trying to make me not like myself and the things that I was doing. Mm -hmm. And I promised myself that I would never make someone feel that way. And so when I encountered the Special Olympics athletes, I was like, this is amazing. Like this is an inclusive environment where everyone's here for each other. And it doesn't matter where you are or what your ability is, you're celebrated. And it just feels good. And so every single Special Olympics event I've ever been to, and I've gone to hundreds over the past, you know, 17 years, I always feel better when I leave. Yeah. I always feel lighter. I feel like I'm energized. And so it's a, an organization that I, um, I've been working with now. And I'm, I sit as a chair of the, or co-chair with Jennifer Jones, the curler of the Special Olympics Champions Network. So it's a group of athletes and um, celebrities from different um, areas, media, pop culture, that kind of stuff. And we just lend our time to Special Olympics. It's really awesome. Yeah, I, I, I've been fortunate enough to, Kyle, to, to spend some time, um, not in particular, I don't think, you know, with the Special Olympics organization, but I've been to track meets, like I know all the way through junior hockey, uh, you know, go to these track meets and participate in these track meets and help out. And, and, uh, and I know uh, Wayne, Wayne's uh, nephew, uh, Johnny, uh, you know, and they, he's, uh, you know, he's, part of special olympics in the bowling right so we go to these bowling and i'm telling you like i've never laughed so hard and it's just you know it's just i guess inclusive is the word and it's just you feel like there's just no judgment right there's just absolutely no judgment and it's like throw the ball however you want to throw the ball <laughs> but johnny johnny and he just loved his wrestling right so yeah no i think that i think that is a great great spot and and, and i think People need more of that. They need more of those interactions. And, and with that, and for you participating, Kyle, um, on this podcast with, with us, we're going to donate $100 to, to Special Olympics uh, on behalf of Respect Group. That's so kind. Yeah, it's not a lot, but uh, you know, it might buy a bowling ball for somebody. Right. So well, Yeah, exactly. And I, I just want to thank you, Kyle. Like, you know, I know you just, you help us out so much. Uh, you know, I know you've got a, a, a good, really good relationship with the McNeil family and Wayne and, and, uh, and he speaks so highly of you and he's, he was the one that's introduced me to you. And, you know, I have a lot of respect for you, Kyle, what you're doing, what you stand for. And I think, you know, how vulnerable you can be. I think sometimes, you know, when you get to the top, which you've been, uh, you know, we think we have to carry ourselves and be this. And I think, you know, it's okay to, to say, you know what, Hey, I'm still learning how to, you know, do this or do that. But, uh, you know, and, and that's what I respect about you with that. So is there anything else that you want to, you want to say, like, is there anything else that you want to, well, you know, I think often about, the legacy that I want to leave and like, what, what do I want my life to be like when I'm 80? You know? Yeah. And the one thing that always comes to my heart is that I want to make the lives of other people better. And I want to make the world like more inclusive and more joyful. I just, I want, 
I want that to be what I feel more of when I'm 80, like to look back on my life and say, I created experiences and environments where people could be themselves hundred percent, where they could laugh, where they could grow, where they could learn. It's, it's kind of cliche, but like, I truly, that's the place that I want more of. And so that when things get crazy and things get hard, because it does for everybody, you know, when you're running a business, it's not easy. There's a lot of stress and a lot of responsibility, but I try to just take a deep breath and put my feet firmly on the ground and say, okay, what is my intention? And what is my purpose? I want to make the lives of other people better. Okay. And that reconnects me to like getting through those hard spots. So yeah, yeah I, I appreciate you, Sheldon. It's, I love our friendship and I, I hope that we can continue having these wonderful conversations for many years to come. We will. And you make a lot of kids and families happy at the Fauci Felt Chair. So thank you for that. <laughs> and thank you for and thank you for joining us today. And I'm and I'm just gonna do a little wrap here. And uh, you know, and that's a wrap, and I just want to thank you for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to our show, your podcast app. Uh, so we can stay connected. This show was made possible by Respect Group. And to learn more about their work and vision, visit respectgroupinc.com. And thank you all for tuning in. And thank you, Kyle. Thanks, Sheldon.